Welcome to Wife on Earth, the book review podcast with me, Celia Jessen, Ordinary Housewife. On today's show, we confront the Southeast's laziest druid, take a sneak peek at a new guidebook for arsonists, and talk to a man who thinks politeness costs £12 exactly. With house prices on the rise again, we'll be interviewing a couple who live on a clifftop and have to dismantle their house and rebuild it six inches to the left every night. And the price of flame. A draper who set fire to his hoojama flip for a bet talks about studying rug making with the Open University, which helped him cope with the loss. Now it's time to check in with my cleaning lady, Mrs Coyle, and her whistle-stop tour of Europe again. I fired up the Dell and I'm just about to Skype her. I hope she doesn't look too fuzzy. Last week Fred was using all the bandwidth to watch old episodes of Lovejoy on Netflix and she looked like she was made of Duplo. Now where do I click on again? Mrs Coyle's Capital Offences Dear, 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 dear. Oh, there we are. Hello, Mrs C. Can you hear me? Hello, Mrs Coyle here, testing, testing. You don't have to say that, Mrs C. This isn't ham radio and you're not Marconi. Oh, right. So, where are you this week? I'm currently staying in a lovely wee Airbnb in Frankfurt. Frankfurt? Gosh, that's very cosmopolitan, Mrs C. Hi. Actually, Mrs. C, I happen to notice that there's an international convention of chars taking place in Frankfurt this week. Is that why you're there? Oh, for God's sake. Look, first of all, I object to the use of the derogatory term char. That's hate speech, that is. Oh, gosh. Sorry, Mrs. C. What would you prefer? Um, daily? Help? Maid? Mrs. Mop? I am a domestic cleaning operative, thank you very much. And for your information, I do actually have a life of my own, with my own interests and hobbies. My entire life is not centred around cleaning. Domestic cleaning operative, very, very good. Well, that told me. I'm sorry, Mrs C. Having said that, I did actually go to the char convention. Oh, what was it like? Oh, it was marvellous. They had cleaning ladies from all over. China, Korea, Bridlington. And the guest of honour was that Kim Woodburn from How Clean Is Your House? And they showed us a sneak peek of this new German house cleaning robot that can clean a house from top to bottom in only ten minutes. Ten minutes? Crikey, Mrs Cole, maybe I should buy one. Perhaps it wouldn't sweep all the dust under the rug on the upstairs landing. I take exception to that. You can stick the upstairs landing rug up your bloody jacksy. Oh, we seem to have lost the signal there. Anyway, we'll be talking to Mrs Coyle again next week, when I believe she'll be in Stockholm. Mrs Coyle's Capital Offences You're listening to Wife on Earth. Now, as we're having to record away from Milton Library for this series, due to the sanitaire crease, as they'd say in Frankfurt, we're having to review older books that are lying around, some of them on the floor. This week, centre part in Martin, local musician, and his girlfriend, Laura, whom he met when she was down from Hull on a day out shoplifting, have asked us to review his seriously overdue library book, Stuart Lee's last one from 2019, March of the Lemmings, which I've got here. Haven't they, Fred? What? The Stuart Lee, Lee book, Fred, this one. For heaven's sake, woman, I'm trying to realign this data rail and it's very difficult without my spirit level. Please don't interrupt. Why don't you have your spirit level? 
Well, I noticed the bubble was 0.1 millimetres out of whack, so I sent it back to the manufacturers with a terse note. Well, can't you help review the book and do the rail? Oh, very well. Thank you. Now, you might think this book is just a heap of recycled newspaper columns, just like Alan Corrin and Clive James used to do, but that's not true. There's also a transcript of one of Mr Lee's stand-up shows. Sounds like money for old rope to me. Oh, be quiet, Fred. The theme of the book is Brexit. Actually, our household perfectly mirrors the current divide in the country. I'm Remain, Fred's leave, and he's 4% bigger than me. We've been fairly civil about the whole thing, though Fred did very pointedly spell out Quizzling in our last Scrabble game, then got annoyed when Google said it wasn't allowed, didn't you, Fred? Oh, blast these roll plugs! As well as the articles from the newspapers written by Stuart Lee were comments left under them by the general public. I could have done without having to read them. They really are, in the main, quite negative, and it began to get me down. Well, no wonder Stuart Lee is reclaiming them by embracing them and printing them. It must be how he copes, and I can't blame him. I particularly enjoyed Stuart's copious footnotes, which made it feel like a tiny Stuart Lee was sitting on my shoulder, butting in and saying what he'd like to have said at the time, but perhaps forgot to, or didn't have room. There were, however, some swear words, but mainly Stuart Lee comes across as a fun and clever man with his interesting family-friendly tidbits about how great egg coddlers are. They really are very good indeed. Fred always insists you have the large ones on Christmas Day, don't you, Fred? What? As well as a reminder of the distressing and murderous turn that the storylines took in the mid-1970s newspaper column about the Bassett hound Fred Bassett. And a delightful little fact that the actual tiny Stuart Lee used to be in the church choir. I much preferred reading those bits, I must be honest, than the main bits about Brexit. I think Brexit is one of the ugliest words in the English language, along with hollyhobs and hangry, and I'm tired of thinking about the whole affair, to be perfectly frank. I don't want to talk about who voted what and why anymore. Saying who you voted for shouldn't be anyone's business and doesn't prove anything and doesn't need to be mentioned at all. And I'd think that even if I hadn't voted Remain. Well, I think my review is almost at an end. What do you think of the book, Fred? I think the fatal flaw with Stuart Lee's prose is that his surrealism undermines his satire and vice versa. Gosh, Fred! That was unexpectedly concise. I aim to please. Now, pass me that wood glue. I have now repaired to the attic. Still to come, here on Wife on Earth... An in-between lockdown look at therapy with Dr Willoughby and myself. Thought for the day from unemployed famous local actor Russell Nigels and my lockdown dire. I need to warn you that the thought for the day is nothing like Radio 4's thought for the day. It contains swears. I did enjoy Stuart's book, didn't you? He's a great writer and seems like a very wonderful person with his ever-laughing eyes and disarming badge collection on one lapel. But it was strange to be reminded of all the landmark moments of Brexit. Mrs Coyle's lucky to go to Frankfurt when she did. I've never craved voyaging about beyond the local area, with perhaps a morning's jaunt with the WI walking group first Tuesday of the month. Slow-paced if Monica Household joins us, as she likes to combine exercise with studying textures in the environment, being as she is an artist. Once she made us gather around an outdoors cigarette bin attached to a motel wall with a tub of takeaway tomato sauce on it, 
and discuss the scenario which might have led to it and its relevance as a site-specific ready-made, whatever that is, if it were in the Ballcock Art Gallery. It was absolutely illuminating. It's marvellous, really, how we all mix from our various walks of life. Although, to be honest, I wanted to get a pace up that morning as I'd forgotten to defrost Fred's chop. Of course, the walking group isn't convening at the moment. They really are a terrific bunch of ladies. Intelligent, kind, generous, and each with a charm of her own. Fred thinks they sound like, quote, the kind of adult-brained blue stockings who are directly responsible for the decline in standards in today's society and the reducing of today's young men to the kind of lily-livered milksops who won't even know how to sink a fence post, end quote. But that's only because he hasn't spent any time with the group like I have. After ten months of being quite isolated, I crave kind female company. I never thought I'd miss waiting for Nancy, real name Gwendolyn Fanshawe Tonks of the famous Tonks Estate Vineyard, who was always the last to arrive, or accompanying Doreen, who had to wear sunglasses in the snow, and Watts detailing her latest world cruise in fascinating minute detail. Who knew that Sydney Harbour greeted incoming ships with a display of balloons? all debating whether giving old Mr Phillips a pound that time did or did not encourage him to start begging outside little lowing tea rooms. Well, Nancy, you weren't here, you were late, but old Mr Phillips looked hungry. What were we to do? Do you know he's a failed science teacher? No. Science what of? Science of pushing a train of shopping trolleys about at night. Really? Well, I never. Yes, I heard that. However, did he end up being Milton's most successful tramp? His wife had an affair and he just went. First he tried living under the stairs, but that didn't work. The loud weeping bothered her and her new lover, and they resented being asked for ten pence for a cup of tea each morning, so he handed his notice in and took to the open road. Really? He did. You know, he looked into my eyes once one Christmas Eve. What did you do? Push him over? I said, hello, Walter. And what did he do? Sloped off. It's a shame. It is a shame. He was head of physics at Laura House. Laura House, a private girls' school? How do you know? I went there before being expelled for sending a love letter to the head boy at the boys' college. Laura House. How posh is that? Was it nice? It was hard work. We did equestrianism, anthropology, polo, yachting and lacrosse. And that was just Mondays. My granddaughters go there now. They were marvellous during the lockdown. They got to master law remotely. How the other half live? What was that, Irene Clare? Well, honestly... Have you seen the buildings they own? They have their own stables and harbour. Where's the parity? How do you master law and study anthropology in lockdown? That's what I'd like to know. Tell us all. Share the privilege. Well, the morning I popped around with Alexandria's birthday check, the teachers were presenting an interactive lecture with a curator from the V&A, and the children had to design their own ginger jars using a couriered consignment of clay delivered by Mary Beard in a JCB. That sounds brilliant and stimulating. Fiona and Alice had a photocopied worksheet and a link to an out-of-focus exercise video on YouTube. Well, they're not paying £6,000 a term, are they? Anyway, I'm sure they'll have equal opportunities now that we've left the EU. How? No one can go abroad, you mean? Don't look at me. I'm the only one here who voted Remain, remember? No, don't have a go. I'm not calling you racist. Well, I voted Remain because I thought Nigel Farage had Cameron in his pocket, remember? And they both have piggy eyes, except not as twinkly, wise or kind. 
My Clive told me that all the sausages were going to be straight and exactly the same length now. No messing about with frankfurters, you know, those curly ones. Nancy, he means Cumberlands. Does he know where Cumberland sausages come from? Well, if they were simply called Engerland, perhaps there wouldn't be all that fake news and scaremongering. Cumberland sounds like a separate state. Oh, come on, come now, girls. Right, here we are at long last. Look, little lowing tea rooms. Has a stale tea cake under a scratched dome ever looked more inviting? Oh, look, there's old Mr Phillips. I should give him a little something. Share the wealth about. Does anyone have any change? I do. Oh, hang on. Can anyone exchange my pound coin for two fifties? Or one fifty and a twenty and a twenty and a ten? And I watched Mr Phillips's glee as he took the fifty pence and scurried towards the Dolphin House chip shop for some screeds. And if you're too posh to know what that is, it's a bag of batter bits. They used to be free, like plastic bags in the supermarket used to be free. We used to get screeds when I was growing up as a child in Cornwall. Nancy looked smug, like a do-gooder. Watching Mr Phillips as he bounded happily towards the chip shop, swinging his four-pack of brown ale in one of those absurdly thin carriers, I did wonder briefly about life on the open road. Not with a real tramp, something more like George Orwell, when he used to dress up and pretend to be one, or perhaps a European hobo in a bowler hat and faded spats, like in that Godot play Fred insisted we noisily walk out of. Yes, Fred could have taken me along to the business trip in Frankfurt, and while he was in a meeting, I'd be perusing the cafes and boutiques, and then I'd hear a voice. Herr Frederick van Jensen at your service, madam. Gosh, how funny. My husband is called Fred, too. He's here on business. Him and a German firm are trying to sell each other exactly the same kind of polycarbonate elbow pipe, and I don't know why they just don't keep their own pipes. But Fred has always said I don't understand business. I see you have a violin case there. Yeah, Liebling. I studied at the conservatoire in Paris, but the life of the orchestra, he is not for me. So now I fiddle in town squares for coins, and at night I sleep under the stars. Gosh. Come away with me, mein Klein Fräulein. We will wander Europe together, partners in our vagabondage. I will play my violin, and you will dance on the cobblestones, and the girls will rain down upon us. We shall feast on black bread and knobwurst, embracing in haycocks, hunting for truffles in the black forest. So you will come with me. Oh, yes, Herr Van Jensen, I'll come with you. But it had all been a dream. I realised that Nancy and Mrs Clack were staring at me while Mr Phillips crammed handfuls of screeds into his mouth. I've not seen them since. Maybe Fred was right. Maybe sometimes I don't see what's around me. They don't have to travel far to make discoveries. Of course, some introspections are fine. It helps us address our demons and see where in life we need to make amends. That's time to go over to Russell Nigel's. Hello. Russell Nigel's here again. You find me in good spirits, having just recorded a series of tannoy announcements for the North Korean Underground Railway. I've no idea why they reached out to me, though... A little bird has told me that Kim Jong-un is a big fan of the Lenny Henry situation comedy Chef, on one episode of which I played a health inspector. So perhaps that has something to do with it. <laughs> As Michael J. Fox once said, pain is temporary, film is forever. At any rate, uh, this leads me neatly to today's thought for the day which concerns the work-life balance. 
do we work to live? Or reversely, do we live to work? Now, I know an actor. I was at drama school with him. We go way back. Well, he, he never stops. Really, he, he never stops. He's forever making movies and TV shows, BBC, HBO, Netflix, so on, so on. God knows what. I don't know. I, I literally cannot keep up. Um, he's like, he's constantly in work. He's like a theatrical acting juggernaut. Onwards and onwards, on through the night, into my mind, again, again, there he is. And he's dripping with awards and he has women all over him. And if, if rumour be believed, a few men as well. And he's absolutely rolling, rolling, I tell you, in moolah. But, and this is the question, is he happy? I mean, yes, of course he bloody is. I mean, he's ecstatic, absolutely ecstatic. But has he ever known, as I have, the curious joy of watching two identical navy blue socks washed in the wash basin, one hung on the door and the other on the windowsill, and wondering which will dry first. I'll wager you he has not. I'm watching them now. Goodbye. Now, if you'll remember, I went a bit loopy over lockdown and started rearranging my spices in order of how attractive I think they'd be if they were men. Tarragon won, by the way. So the bods at Cosmic Shambles insisted on me talking to the psychiatrist, Dr Willoughby, who's just moved in around the corner. He's awfully nice and a bit of a dreamboat, to be perfectly honest, in his slim-fitting jeans, chunky cardigan and wire-rimmed specks, his curly blonde hair forming a halo around his face. Anyway, last week we talked about my early childhood, and this time we're going to chat about my school days. Now, are you feeling comfortable? Yes, thank you, Dr Willoughby. I think it would be easier if you called me James. I find an informal atmosphere helpful when breaking down boundaries. Would that be okay, do you think? Gosh, yes, yes, I suppose so, if you think it's a good idea, Dr Willoughby. I mean, James. Great. Now, last week we talked about your very early life. I think you mentioned something about a governess. Yes, Penelope. Penelope Trubshaw. She looked after me from the age of two, so Mama could concentrate on the house and her volunteer work at the church. Dear Penelope, with her tweed suit, tiny eyes, warts and vestigial moustache. She was strict but fair and knew all about the life cycle of the Hawfinch. I wondered what happened to her. I only saw her once more. When I was fourteen, I walked into Beechley to buy some mint imperials and she roared past on a Harley Davidson. And she was your governess until... Why, until I went to school, of course, when I was five. Ah, yes. And what was your school like? Well, I dare say you'll say I'm looking back and exaggerating the past, but believe you me, Miss Fotheringay's finishing school for the daughters of gentlefolk was quite the tough environment. There was hair-pulling, gossip, marzipan abuse, everything. And how do you feel about your school days? 
I dare say most of your patients burst into tears because there were no red crayons left for them and someone stole their tipex. But I'm made of sterner stuff, I'm afraid. You won't catch me whining and complaining that Deirdre's scallop was always ink monitor instead of me just because you had a nicer ponytail. Oh dear, you're scribbling in your little notebook again. Please go on. And on prize day I always yearned to win the golden pin for dressmaking. But I could never master pleats, and it always went to Tamsin Goaty with her jumpsuits and avant-garde raw silk twin set. And you found that upsetting? Well, of course I did. She's a fashion designer now, you know, Tamsin Goaty. I saw her on the clothes show she's designed that tin foil and pipe cleaners number Emily Blunt wore for the Oscars that everyone was talking about. OK, you didn't get on with these girls, but you did have friends, I assume. Yes, of course. Celia Jones and Celia Shan Ketley, the three Celias we called ourselves. We used to hang around in the piano practice room at playtime. That was our hidey-hole. I wonder where they are now. Celia J had calipers, poor thing, and Celia SK had a huge growth on the end of her nose, shaped a bit like the county of Warwickshire. All three of us wanted to marry Dirk Bogard. We'd idolised him since seeing him in Once a Jolly Swagman. We once wrote him a fan letter proposing marriage and he wrote back with a polite yet firm refusal and a bag of treacle toffees. And there were no men around the school? No male teachers? Gosh, no. No men at all. No, apart from old Mr Murphy, the caretaker. Caretaker? Yes, dear old Rubicon Mr Murphy with his shiny red face, dusty overalls and mop of curly hair like a rhododendron bush. He was a kindly old sort always carried fig rolls in his breast pocket, and if he saw you looking a bit glum, he'd hand one over and say, Sweets to the sweet, young miss. That's what he'd call you, young miss. I remember once I skimmed my knee while leaping the horse at gym, and I was sitting in the changing room where everybody else had left feeling a bit sorry for myself, when Mr Murphy came in with his broom. He saw I was unhappy, and improvised a little dance, pretending his brush was an eel that was attacking him. <laughs> and I laughed and I laughed. You're scribbling again. Amazing. Incredible. OK, Celia, I think that's about all we have time for today. Same time next week. Hello, this is Frederick Jessen with another dispatch from Life in Tier 12. It is now two weeks since mine and Celia's son, Will, returned to the bosom of his family for the duration of the lockdown, however long that might be. I'm afraid relations between myself and Will, or Billy, as I cannot help but still think of him, have not improved. I myself am attempting to get through this difficult time by strict adherence to a routine. Now I rise at seven o'clock sharp, have tea and toast in the kitchen while shouting at the Today programme, then from 7.30 until 10 I'm in the garden, attempting to keep the nasturtiums under control, distributing slug pellets, refilling the bird feeders and replenishing the fat balls. From 10 till 11, I put on my kit and perform my Canadian Air Force exercises, also in the back garden, ignoring the catcalling and insults from the McLean boys who live over the way. At 11, Celia and I take our daily hour of government-approved exercise with a stroll along Acacia Avenue on to Petunia Close, along Mulberry Rise, and then a dogleg past the waste ground and on to Wisteria Court, past the statue of Sir Robert Tox, who thankfully avoided being vandalised by those Extinction Lives Matter Johnnies some weeks back. They were planning on tugging him down and dunking him in the St Inns with Canal on account of his plantation ownership, which 
was admittedly extensive, but luckily they got their wires crossed and desecrated a statue of Beatrix Potter in nearby Chelmley instead. From there we cross over to the High Street and then along Duke's Road, past the newly built estate and that memorial to the dead of World War II by that Darren Hurst fellow which looks like a heap of tea chests all painted red, until we reach the retail park where we gaze upon all those behemoths of commerce, Currys, TK Maxx, Primark, Argos, DFS, pets at home, now all sadly closed, and then retrace our steps back. Celia prepares a light lunch, soup, cheese on toast or a savoury scone, and then I concentrate on one of my hobbies, fretwork perhaps, or my ham radio. At three o'clock I spend a couple of hours reading. I'm currently halfway through a fascinating biography of Helmut Knutzen, who was Rommel's tailor. Really very interesting stuff. Many people underestimate the influence that inside leg measurements had on the higher echelons of the Nazi party. And then at five o'clock it's dinner, and afterwards, Celia and I may watch something on the Netflix or perhaps play a board game or similar. Scrabble, Monopoly, Cluedo, Risk, Trivial Pursuit, Yahtzee, or my own particular favourite, Boggle. Sometimes we will be joined by that woolly article occupying the spare room, Martin, and then it's bed by 10pm sharp. By contrast, Will, who is occupying his old room, doesn't seem to surface until mid-afternoon, whereupon he makes an appearance draped in my dressing gown, lounging at the breakfast table, eating Frosties and looking at YouTube on his ever-present MacBook. When he does bother to speak, it's to say something gnomic that I don't understand about QAnon, 5G and the red pill. And then he spends all the rest of the day sitting on the sofa drinking lager and playing Call of Duty on his Xbox. It's for this reason that I've been spending an increasing amount of time up here in mine and Celia's bedroom practising my banjulele. I've been working my way through 101 Britpop classics and I'm currently attempting to master Aphrodisiac by Powder. I can't help but feel I should try to speak to Will, attempt to galvanise him, by which, of course, I mean shock him into action... I'm not suggesting I cover him with a thin layer of zinc, <laughs> uh, though with his current level of activity I may as well, but I'm afraid he will just say, oh, give it a rest, Pa. Ah, oh, well, anyway, that's my lockdown diary for this week. Thank you for listening, and better get back to my powder. You have been listening to Wife on Earth, written and performed by Joanna Neary and Joseph Nixon. The cast are Ben Crompton, Julia Cluffley Snedden, George Egg, John Griffin, Al Kerr, Paul McLean, Heather Minor, and Joanna Neary. With original music written and performed by Heather Minor and by Paul McLean. This was a Wife on Earth production for Cosmic Shambles Network. Thank you for listening.